We'll be turning to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be beginning there in just a moment. I encourage you to follow along to test the things I have to say, to see that it is by the Word of God. If we find it to be the truth, I hope that we'll take and apply it in our everyday walks of life and that we can all leave here being better servants of God in the future than we have in the past. I encourage you this afternoon to read Matthew 7, 24 through 27, the story of the wise and foolish men and the houses that they built. As one built on the rock and the sand, and tonight we're going to come back and talk about the foolish man that built on the sand, talking about some foundations that we often establish our faith upon that are foundations made of sand. And we'll study that this evening. But this morning, if you have your Bibles don't already be turning to Ephesians chapter 4, I want us to consider a subject that is important to each and every one of us. We may not always realize its importance, but it is a very important and significant topic. And that is the topic of forgiving one another. You see, the Bible commands that we forgive one another. But why do we forgive? How is it that we are to forgive? Who is it that we are to forgive? And when are we to forgive? You see, we're going to study this morning a passage in Ephesians chapter 4 and in verse 32 where he says, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Really two major points this morning. As we want to take a look at this, really this one verse, we want to spend some time talking about the context here in Ephesians chapter 4. And we won't spend much time there, as we'll study Ephesians 4 in our Bible classes next week. But just to lay a little bit of groundwork to Ephesians chapter 4 and what's being dealt with here in this context around verse 32. Because at the end of next week, we're not going to be able to spend a whole lot of time dealing with verse 32 and the need for forgiveness. Let's talk about that this morning. Forgiving one another. But let's set the context of Ephesians chapter 4. Well, as we talked about in our outline this morning, as we studied the book of Ephesians in our Bible class hour, Ephesians 4 through 6 is dealing with the idea of walking worthy. In Ephesians chapter 4 and in verse 1, he tells them, Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And so as he's dealing with this idea of walking worthy, in the second half of the book, he comes down here in the latter half of chapter 4 and talks beginning at verse 17 and going through the end of the chapter about putting off the old man and putting on the new man. In verse 17 he said, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the, from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to, to work all uncleanness and greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. 
So it says here in verse 24 that they are to put on the new man. But he points out in verse 24 that this new man is created according to God, or the English Standard Version says, after the likeness of God. So, as we set this context on the need of forgiveness, remember this, that you are created as a new creature after the likeness of God, and so therefore, in verse 32, you forgive others as God forgave you. In chapter 5 and in verse 1, he said, Therefore, he's connecting chapter 5 and in verse 1 back to chapter 4. And he said, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. You be an imitator of God. You forgive as God forgave because you have been created in the likeness of God. And again, that characteristic, one of the characteristics we put on is forgiving one another. You see, we have been forgiven of our sins by God. He says, forgive even as God in Christ forgave you. And so, one of these characteristics we put on as this new man, as this creature created in the likeness of God, is forgiveness. We forgive others, just as we ourselves have been forgiven by God. That's the immediate context of Ephesians chapter 4 and in verse 32. He's telling us, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Walk worthy... By putting off the old man and putting on the new that is created in the likeness of God. And that means you forgive as God forgave you. But I want to spend the majority of our time really breaking down this verse, this text itself in verse 32. I think there are three very important, very key things that we see in Ephesians 4.32. In this simple phrase... Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And then in some verses to follow in in chapter 5. So three really key things about this text itself in Ephesians 4, 32. The first is, I see and need to understand the foundation of forgiveness. The foundation of us forgiving others is this. Forgive as God forgave you. Now we'll talk about the extent here in a minute, the forgiving as God forgave, but let's understand for just a second the foundation of forgiveness. You see, God has forgiven us our sins, and so we must forgive others. Remember, we needed forgiveness. We needed forgiveness, and it may be, as we sit here today, we need it right now. Remember that we all at one point have been guilty of sin. In Romans 3 beginning at verse 9, in Romans 3 beginning at verse 9, Paul writes, What then? Are we better than they? Talking about the Jews that he's been dealing with in chapter 2 in the first eight verses of chapter 3. Are the Jews better than the Gentiles? Not at all, for we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks. They are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. Remember in 1 John chapter 1 and in verse 8 through 10, where, he, where John there in his first epistle said that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have no sin, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. We all have sinned. We have reached that age of accountability. We all have sinned. And since we all have sinned, we then all needed forgiveness because that sin separated us from God. Remember Isaiah 59? Isaiah chapter 59. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor His ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God, your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He will not hear. You see, the problem is not that God's hand is so short and that He can't save. His ear is not so heavy that He cannot hear. But we, because we have been guilty of sin, when we are living in sin, we are separated from God. That's why He does not hear us. It's not that His hand is, is, not, is so heavy that He can't save, and, or His hand shortened that He can't save and His ear heavy, but it's our iniquities that have separated us. It's our sins that have hidden His face from us so that He will not hear us. And so as we are in sin, and the sin separated us from God, and this sin ultimately results in spiritual death, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, the wages of sin is death. And here we are. Here we are, if we've lived a life of sin, realizing that it just separated us from God, and because it separated us, we had the punishment of eternal death unless we received forgiveness. We needed it. We needed God to forgive us, and He did. God forgave us in Colossians chapter 3 and in verse 13. Colossians chapter 3 and in verse 13. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against you, even as Christ forgave you, so you must do. God has forgiven us. Christ forgave us our sins. Yes, we've all been guilty of sin. We've all been separated from God, and we had the punishment of eternal death. But God forgave us. In fact, he forgave us because of Christ and through Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1 and in verse 7 it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. See, God forgave us and He forgave us through the blood of Christ. It's through His blood we have redemption. It's through His blood that we have forgiveness of sins. In fact, this is was the very purpose for Christ's coming. Well, so we can achieve forgiveness of sins. In Acts chapter 5 and in verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to His right hand to be Prince and Savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Christ came, He died, He rose on the third day and ascended into heaven. That we could have forgiveness of sins if we repent. That was the very purpose for Christ's coming. So understand this. We all have been separated from God because of sin. We all have been guilty of sin. We all had the punishment of eternal death. Yet God forgave us. He's forgiven us our sins. 
It was through Christ Jesus, and the very purpose for Christ's coming was so we could have that forgiveness of sins. And so we must understand and appreciate that, because when we understand and appreciate what God did for us, we're going to treat other people better. And we are likelier to forgive others. In Titus chapter 3, if you'd be turning to Titus chapter 3 with me. In Titus chapter 3, as Paul is writing in Titus 3, beginning at verse... Two, he said to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, But according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I want you to think for just a second about what he's saying in these verses here in Titus chapter 3. He's holding speak evil of no one, for we ourselves were once foolish. We ourselves were once disobedient. We ourselves were once led astray. And when you're aware of the fact that you needed the forgiveness of sins, yes, we all can achieve the forgiveness of sins, yes, we may have achieved forgiveness of sins, but we need to be reminded constantly that we needed that forgiveness. Because if you're reminded of your need for forgiveness, then when you need to forgive other people, you're more inclined and more willing to do so. Because you remember that you were given forgiveness. Not because of something great you did that you deserved it, but God forgave you. And so we must then be willing to forgive others as God has commanded us. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, Colossians 3.13, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. God forgave us. And when we remind ourselves of that, of our need for forgiveness, of the fact that He gave that to us, then we're more willing to forgive others by being an imitator of God, Ephesians 5 and then verse 1. Forgiving as God in Christ forgave you, therefore be imitators of God, Ephesians 5 and then verse 1. And if you're going to be an imitator of God, you're forgiving as God forgave. Because you remember The foundation of forgiveness is God forgave you. And that's the foundation for you to forgive others. He forgave your sins. So you must forgive others. But let's not just consider the foundation. Yes, the foundation is God forgave us. But remember the extent that we're to forgive. He tells us the extent in this text. The foundation is God forgave. The extent is you forgive as He forgave. You see, we forgive others the same way we have been forgiven by God. He says, forgiving as God in Christ forgave you. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4. Go back to Ephesians 4. Look again at verse 32. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So you forgive to the extent that you have been forgiven. 
But that really raises a question then. How has God forgiven us and therefore, since we forgive as God forgave, how therefore are we then to forgive others? If God has forgiven us and we're to forgive that way, how is it that He forgave us? And then in return, that means how is it we are to forgive others? Let's think about how God forgave us. Let's think about God's forgiveness for us as described in scriptures and some passages that make the same... Some of these have passages that make the exact same point of us specifically. Remember this first and foremost. God forgave us willingly. Remember 2 Peter chapter 3 and in verse 9. The Lord is not slow concerning His promise to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, God wants to forgive. 1 Timothy 2.4 Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants every one of us to be saved. Sometimes this question is asked concerning the wickedness in the world and all that goes on. Why is God allowing this to go on? Well, I don't know the answer to that. We don't understand, oh, well, all God allows to go on. But I do know this. God doesn't want any to perish, but He wants all to come to repentance. Perhaps this is going on because God is giving us ample time and giving people ample time to forgive because He wants to forgive. He's willing to forgive. You think about the prodigal son who, 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 who leaves, who wastes his inheritance... And he comes back to the Father, and he wants to come back, and is willing to be a servant for the Father. Yet the Father is standing there with open arms, willing to forgive. Now, that's how God forgave us. When we, when we sin, God is waiting there for us to come back to Him. And when we do, He is willing to forgive. He wants us to come back. Here's a question for us. If we're to forgive as God forgave us, are we willing to forgive? Because that's what it means to forgive as God and Christ forgave you. When somebody sins against you, are you standing there waiting for them to come back? Just waiting for that opportunity to forgive them? Standing there with open arms. So when they come back, you can embrace them and forgive them for the sins they committed against you? Is that how, you, how your reaction is to them? You want them to come back. You want the opportunity to forgive. You want them to make that change they need to make. Because that's how we're commanded to forgive. Because we forgive as God and Christ forgave us. And if He forgave us willingly, then we should forgive willingly. We shouldn't be standing there just thinking, oh, when it happens, it happens, and I'll make up my mind then. No, we want to forgive them. We're waiting for that opportunity to forgive. All we have to do is wait for them to take the step. Which leads us to the next point. God forgives conditionally. In Acts chapter 2 and in verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter told Simon in Acts 8, 22, to repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. God forgives us conditionally. We understand that. If we sin against God, God just doesn't just forgive us without us taking any action. He demands that we repent of our sins. 
Acts, Acts 2 is dealing with the alien sinner. Repent and be baptized. Acts 8, dealing with the erring child of God. Repent and pray. But no matter what, no matter whether we're the alien sinner who has sin in our lives, no matter if we're the erring child of God, both cases demand repentance. Both cases demand us turning from our sins. Both cases have us abhorring our past sins. God forgives us conditionally. He demands that we repent, that we seek out His forgiveness with the steps that He has laid out in His will for us to achieve that. Well, in the same way, we forgive conditionally. And He said to His disciples, Luke 17 and in verse 1. Be turning there, Luke 17 and in verse 1. And He said to His disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Oftentimes, it is talked about, about the need for, repent, or for forgiveness that we forgive without repentance. Now let me draw a distinction here. I think sometimes we, we blur a line between repentance and holding a grudge or possessing bad attitudes towards somebody that sins against us. Now, whether they repent or not, we can't be somebody that sort of holds a grudge and holds that against them. Now, we don't forgive them because they need to repent. But we don't treat them poorly. We don't, we don't you know, are not angry all the time at them and treat them in a way that we ought not because they have not repented. But at the same time, we don't just say, oh, you're forgiven when they haven't repented because they haven't sought out forgiveness. In Luke 17 here, he tells us to forgive, but he tells us to forgive when they repent. We forgive conditionally in the same way that God forgave us. Now, not only do we forgive willingly and conditionally, we forgive graciously. In Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, but God, we studied this just last week, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Colossians chapter 2 and in verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were, being, you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. God graciously forgives. He forgave in verse 5 by His grace. He points out that it is by grace that we are saved, but He points out that though we were dead in trespasses and sins, He's made us alive. We forgive others. We need to be gracious in how we forgive others, just as God was gracious in forgiving us. Now, they need to repent. We talked about that already. But we need to forgive. I think sometimes we view sins in such a way that, you know what they did to me and how great the sin is they did. 
And so it makes it hard for us to forgive conditionally and graciously. Remember, despite whatever they did, it cannot be worse than the fact that because of your sins and my sins, that Jesus was hung on a cross and died, that you and I could have forgiveness of sins, and yet, in spite of that, God again forgave us. So graciously forgive as God has forgiven. Completely forgive as God has forgiven. In Hebrews chapter 8 and in verse 12, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Chapter 10 and verse 17 reads the same. When God forgives us, He forgives us completely. It's blotted out. It's as if it's no longer on our record. And that's how God forgives. God doesn't hold against us that time we did something that we repented of. We're not going to stand before God in the judgment day and He's not going to say, well, you remember that time that... And you can insert whatever sin you want to. You're going to say, I I asked for forgiveness of that. Yeah, but I haven't completely forgiven you. That's not what's going to happen in the judgment day. God has completely forgiven us. He remembers them no more. Hebrews 8 and in verse 12. As well as Hebrews 10 and in verse 17. He blots them out. It's as if they never happened. So when we seek forgiveness from others, and when others seek forgiveness from us, the way that we forgive is to be completely. Sometimes somebody may come and ask for forgiveness, and we say, I forgive you. But then when opportunity presents itself, we find ourselves coming back to that occasion that we said we forgave them of. We keep it always in our mind about that occasion. And what they did to me. And you may remember that. Hold on to that for a rainy day. But that's not how God forgave us. God doesn't keep it, keep it there and say, well, you see, this is what you did. Not if we asked for forgiveness. Not if we truthfully repented and sought out his forgiveness. Well, in the same way, that's how we are to forgive. When others... Seek forgiveness from us. We forgive them completely and totally. It's as if the sin never happened. That's the extent of which we're to forgive. As God forgave us, willingly, conditionally, graciously, completely, repeatedly. 1 John chapter 1 is... A text in which John has made the, is dealing with those that are Christians. And he says, if we say we have no sin, we already saw this verse earlier. If we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, verse 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 9 is that second law of pardon. Skip on down into chapter 2. My little children, these things I write to you that you sin not, but, or and, if anyone sins... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Remember that God forgave you repeatedly. In that 1 John, chapter 1 and in verse 9, is recording for us that second law of pardon. 
In that, steps of that are recorded in Acts chapter 8. Because remember, Acts 8, 14 and 15, Simon the sorcerer obeys the gospel, yet in verse 22, he's told to repent and pray that perhaps the thought of his heart may be forgiven him. He's already been forgiven once when he was baptized. Remember? Repent and be baptized, Acts 2, 38. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. He forgave us when we obeyed the gospel and He'll forgive us again if we sin and we repent and confess and we pray. He forgives us repeatedly. In the same way, we are to forgive others repeatedly. And and Luke 17, we were there just a moment ago, but go back to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17 and in verse 4. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day repents to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Now, we're probably going to question the sincerity of the man that repents seven times in a day if he keeps coming back and doing the same thing. But here's the point. If your brother sins against you, and he comes and he repents and he seeks out forgiveness, you know what you do? You forgive. And if he sins against you again... And he comes back, and, he, and he, he, he acknowledges the fact that he sinned against you. He's asking you to forgive him. You know what you do? You forgive him. And if he comes back again a little while later, and he tells you again he sinned against you, but he asks you for forgiveness, you know what you do? You forgive him. You're probably sitting there in your mind at this point wondering, why do I forgive you? You keep coming back. Well, first of all, remember this. You cannot question his sincerity of repentance at that moment. He may truthfully repent. Maybe he's not really repenting. But remember this. You don't want to not forgive that man and him truly be repenting. Forgive him. And if he comes back a fourth time and he asks you for forgiveness, and a fifth, and a sixth, and a seventh, forgive him. And Jesus isn't saying seven, as in if that's just a... This end-all number, and after seven times you no longer forgive. He's just using this number here. Seven to say, as long as he comes and he repents, you forgive. And though sometimes we may wonder, why, why do you keep coming back to me? You, you keep coming back and asking for forgiveness. You keep coming back and trying to repent of your sin. You keep coming back saying, I've sinned against you. Will you forgive me? I forgive you. You go and do it again. Why should I forgive you? Remember how many times God has forgiven you. What if God kept record of every time he forgave you and he stopped at seven? What if two or three times was all he would take? What if every time you came in and acknowledged you sinned before God, he kept record and then eventually, as oftentimes we do, we begin to wonder, well, are they really repenting? I'm not going to forgive them. They don't seem to be sincere anymore. What if God did that to you? What condition would you be in if God hadn't forgiven you repeatedly? So, when you forgive others, forgive them repeatedly and forgive them finally, immediately. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. The first 19 verses of Daniel 9, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago in Bible class. The first 19 verses is a prayer of Daniel. And Daniel is praying for the forgiveness of himself and of his people. And in verse 20 beginning, we have this prophecy of the 70 weeks. 
But I want us to see what happens before this is recorded here for us. Now, while I was speaking, you know what he's still doing? Speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. He's still speaking, he's still praying, he's still confessing. Yes, while I was speaking in the prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplication, the command went out. And I have come to tell you that you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Here he is in this situation. Daniel praying, confessing his sins and the sins of his people. And while he's still speaking, the angel come, Gabriel comes to him and says that at the beginning of his prayer, he was sent out. In Luke chapter 15 as well. Not only do we have Gabriel coming here and saying at the beginning of the prayer, is Daniel still in the middle of acknowledging that sin? When the angel is sent to him. But in Luke 15, the father doesn't tell the son in Luke 15 that he's sort of got this probationary period where you're going to be a servant and then maybe after some time I'm going to forgive you completely and you can be restored to a son. But he comes out, he embraces him as he comes in, and he throws a feast to celebrate. That very night, he forgave him immediately. Now, there may be some... There are some punishments for sin, and sometimes that some suspicion may be raised because of some sin that may all be there. I understand that. If a man is guilty of adultery, his wife may forgive him, but still have suspicion for some time until trust is rebuilt. But that doesn't mean she hasn't forgiven him. In fact, when she forgives, it needs to be immediate. When we forgive others, it needs to be immediate. We don't hold on and say, well, I'm going to forgive you if for a week you can prove you can behave yourself, and then after a week you're forgiven. I'm going to give you a month, and if you, you don't sin against me again, I'm going to forgive you. That's not what God does to us. He forgives us immediately, and so we should forgive others immediately. Forgive as God and Christ forgave you. Well, what does that entail? It forgives willing forgiveness, conditional forgiveness, gracious forgiveness, complete forgiveness, repeated forgiveness, and immediate forgiveness. That's what forgiveness entails. Because the extent we are to forgive is as God in Christ forgave us. But finally, what is the attitude of forgiveness? And that is the attitude of love. Therefore, in verse 1 of chapter 5, connects it back to chapter 4. He begins verse 5 by saying, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. And so in verse 1, as he's saying, Therefore, we need to imitate God in Ephesians 5 and in verse 1. He's connecting that back to the previous thought. Remember what we said already about chapter 4. Put off the old man, put on the new man. Created, the English Standard Version says, in the likeness of God. Put on that new man, created in the likeness of God. Be an imitator of God. Therefore, be an imitator of God. Chapter 5 and verse 1. And in verse 2, he talks about walking in love as Christ loved us. Now, here's that application as we tie this together. Forgive as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. And walk in love 
As Christ also loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. God forgave us. And so we forgive one another. We already talked about that. God forgave us. That's the foundation. We give to the forgiveness uh, to the extent that God forgave. And we've got to remember the attitude behind it has got to be that of love. We walk in love as, as an imitator of God. We walk in love as Christ loved us. This love that we must possess leads to us forgiving others. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13 in that description of love. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Does not, is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Just think about that love of 1 Corinthians 13 for just a second. And how it's described. It's the kind of love that is kind in verse 4. It's the kind of love that thinks no evil. That is, it doesn't keep account of wrong. It's the kind of love that doesn't rejoice in iniquity. And it's the kind of love that believes and hopes all things. Think about that for just a moment. You're kind to those who may have done wrong to you. You don't keep account of the wrong they did to you. In verse 4. Or verse 5. You do not rejoice in one's iniquity... And instead, you give the benefit of the doubt. That's what it means to believe and hope all things. So, when somebody sins against you and they come and ask for forgiveness, this love of 1 Corinthians 13, a love mentioned over in Ephesians chapter 1, demands that we keep no account of their wrong. It demands that, we, that we're not rejoicing in the iniquity that they have committed. It demands that we give the benefit of the doubt. Let's go back to that situation a moment ago about repeatedly. The brother comes to me in the morning and he asks for forgiveness. He comes to me again a couple hours later and asks for forgiveness. He comes to me a little bit later and asks for forgiveness. He comes to me a little bit later and he asks for forgiveness. Again, you're probably running through your mind. Is he really asking for forgiveness? Is he really repenting? You know what you should do out of love? Hope and believe for the best in that situation. Give him the benefit of the doubt that he's really repenting this time. Now maybe he does it six times in a day and he asks for forgiveness and he never really repented, but he might on the seventh. He might finally realize what he needs and turn from that. And you forgive him. You don't, you give him the benefit of the doubt. You don't rejoice in his iniquity. You don't keep account of his wrong. That's all done out of love. And when we possess this kind of love, we'll forgive others. But if we are unwilling to forgive, then we don't love as we should. Because love demands that we forgive. And if we're unwilling to forgive others, then we don't possess the kind of love that we need to towards one another. Forgiving one another. The context of... Ephesians 4 and in verse 32 is a context of walking worthy of the calling with which we were called. It's the kind of context which told us that we, that we put off the old but put on the new. And that demands forgiveness. We looked at the text itself. That text itself tells us the foundation of forgiveness is God forgave us. 
The extent is as God forgave us, and the attitude is love. And when we realize that, then we're willing to forgive others. So I ask you this question as we close. Have you forgiven others of their sins? Or are you unwilling to forgive when others who wrong you repent? Because if that's the case, then you stand here today unforgiven by God. Remember in Matthew chapter 18, a parable. Where Peter came and asked Jesus, Lord, how often will I, my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up as many as seven times? And Peter probably thought he was being generous. But the Lord told him, I do not say seven, but either depending on your translation, 77 or seven times seven. And he tells the parable of the servant who had this insurmountable debt. And the master forgave him. And yet this servant went out and sought his fellow servant who owed him just but a small amount. And was not happy with him when he could not pay. The master eventually came to the first servant, the one forgiven this large sum of debt, cast him into prison and told him he needed to forgive his debt. Here's the point. God forgives us a large debt, a debt we could never pay. And yet, if we're unwilling to forgive others, what does it say about us if we're unwilling to forgive others but a small debt, a debt that can, could be paid? And remember this, if you don't forgive that brother, that small debt, that is, you don't forgive your brother the sin against you, remember this, God will not forgive you. Matthew chapter 6, 14 and 15. If we forgive others, we're forgiven. If we don't, we're not forgiven. So you ask, what is the importance of this forgiveness? Your forgiveness from God depends on your forgiving others. So are you willing to forgive others when they sin against you? Because if not, it's time to evaluate ourselves and realize that we then are not forgiven. But as we come to a close, it may be that there is one or more present this morning who may have never responded in obedience to the gospel. If you're here and you've never responded, but you've heard the word of God and you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, you can repent of your sins, confess your faith, and be buried in the waters of baptism. And when you come out, God will forgive your sins. Maybe you're here and you've done that, but you say somewhere along the line, I've gone back into sin. I need the repeated forgiveness of God. If it's of a private nature, then you can take it to the Lord privately in prayer. But if it's a sin of a public nature, we will pray with you and for you for God to forgive you. But no matter what your need is, if we could assist you in any way, would you not come forward us together we stand and as we sing?